0: Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C O R R Y J O E L. Also read my regular cbssports.com column agent's take on NFL salary cap and contract matters. Uh, This time around we're going to look at three things. Uh, Briefly take a look at the Deshaun Watson settlement, um, the great deal that Derwin James got to reset the safety market, and what that means for Jesse Bates, and also take a look at the Roquan Smith situation. Now, Uh, First up, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, is the Deshaun Watson settlement on Thursday morning. The NFL and NFLPA uh, reached a settlement regarding his discipline um, for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Now, um, let's first keep in mind that the appeal, which uh, Peter C. Harvey, who was the commissioner's designee, if it had been heard, was uh, only going to be limited to why disciplines should be modified based on the evidentiary record. And the evidentiary record was based on four cases. Not the 25 suits where 23 have been settled. I mean, the 20, yeah, the 23 have been settled, or 24 have been settled, I should say. Not what was in the New York Times where... He reached out to 66 different uh, massage therapists over a 17-month period, had book sessions with at least 66 women. That was not what the appeal was going to be over. Now, this settlement um, is Deshaun Watson being suspended for the first 11 games of the regular season without pay. Um, He's fined $5 million and must undergo mandatory evaluation by behavioral experts and follow their treatment plan in order to be reinstated. Now, everyone assumes that he's going to be able to play in week 13. It's an 11-game suspension, but he's not able to play until week 13 because Cleveland's bye is in week 9. So their 12th game will be week 13. Coincidentally, against his old team, the Houston Texans, Um, couldn't script a better TV game than that. (laughs) Not sure the NFL really wanted that, but that's what the uh, um, settlement is. Now, prior to the settlement, the NFL had been seeking an indefinite suspension where Watson could apply for reinstatement after a year. Um, Peter C. Harvey uh, really wanted the parties to try to reach a settlement. Um, prior to the original decision, which the NFL was appealing by different disciplinary disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson, where she gave him a six-game suspension and found that he uh, violated the personal conduct policy in different ways by engaging in sexual assault conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person and conduct that undermines and puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. That was in her 16-page um, ruling. Now, prior to her decision, the NFLPA reportedly rejected the NFL's offer of a 12-game suspension and a $10 million fine. So, if you take the indefinite suspension, was going to be one year. That's so he'd miss 17 games because he provided free instatement. Presumably, all would go well. Her decision is six. Six plus 17, 23. 11-game ban is basically splitting the baby. No fine with her decision. Uh, They wanted a $10 million million fine in the offer the NFLPA rejected pre-decision, which was a 12-game suspension, $10 million fine. So, Zero fine, $10 million fine, $5 million fine. Maybe that's how you get to it. Splits the baby. Um, a lot of people still aren't happy about the 11-game suspension. Think it should be longer. Um, it is the longest suspension ever imposed under the personal conduct policy for sexual misconduct. There have been 11-game suspension. think the NFL wanted to get this behind them because if... Peter C. Harvey had done what the NFL had wanted in a ruling. You're going to have litigation where possibly NFLPA tries to get injunctive relief from week one of the season. This thing was going to drag on potentially in the next year. NFLPA might have delved very deeply into owner misconduct, which has not been published uh, punished uh, with the same severity as player conduct, which is something that um, Sue Robinson found somewhat persuasive in her 16-page decision. I think that was part of the motivation to uh, get this thing settled. So now I guess the NFL can use 11 games as a baseline when you have egregious conduct. Uh, Watson suspension goes into effect on August 30th when the uh, final roster cut down to 53 players takes place. Um, back half of the suspension, he is allowed to participate in limited activities. So, on October 10th, the, the day after the week, Browns' week five game against Chargers, he can attend team meetings, and individually work out with the Browns strength and conditioning coach, meet individually with the, the head coach, Kevin Stefanski, offensive coordinator, uh, Alex Van Pelton, the quarterback coach, and get treatment at rehab from the Browns' medical staff. Last two weeks of suspension, uh, starting on November 14th, he'll be able to um, practice. Suspension will be lifted November 28th, all things go well, and he'll be, as I said, eligible to play um, week 13 uh, against the Texans on December 4th. One of the things this doesn't sit right with a lot of people, including me, is his half hearted apology. Um, Before the settlement, and then basically doubling down after the settlement was agreed to, I didn't do anything wrong and not taking responsibility for his actions. Robinson did call his conduct predatory and more egregious than any other before reviewed by the NFL, so that's disappointing and seems like that quote-unquote apology was only something he made specifically so a settlement can be reached. Now, in terms of what's going to be uh, the cost to uh, Watson, since the five-year $230 million fully guaranteed contract that he signed in March as a part of this trade uh, from the Texans was structured in a manner to minimize financial consequences of the suspension He's only going to lose $632,500 of salary this year. He's making $46 million. $44.965 million is a signing bonus. A signing bonus can't be touched. Um, suspensions are, without pay means, pertaining to base salary. So he's making 57500 for each of the 18 weeks of regular season. So 11 of, the, of his $1.035 million base salary, his league minimum salary, is the 632500 His contract's going to run as is. So he's under contract through 2026. Still under contract through 2026. There's no tolling, which means his contract would have been frozen in time and pushed back a year. That only would have occurred with the one-year suspension. So he voids that, and he's not under contract through 2027. Um... The Browns are going to get $632,500 of cap relief from the base salary he's not going to make. Um, That's really insignificant in the grander scheme and to them because they're sitting on $49 million of cap space. Now, they can't touch a signing bonus, and his guarantees aren't going to void for two specific reasons. This contract was structured in a way where there's language that prevents those things from happening ordinarily, the team would have the right to take back part of the signing bonus. There's $8.993 million of signing bonus attributed 2022 for the salary cap. They would have had the right to get back 11 18ths of that uh, under ordinary circumstances. That That's basically just under $5.5 million. They can't because um, any previous conduct was exempted out from the ability to recoup signing bonus if he's if Watson is unavailable for games in the 2022 or 2023 league year. So no forfeiture to signing bonus. Guarantees also void for a laundry list of defaults. Typically a suspension does that. Same type of language. Uh, pre-existing conduct is exempted from guarantees voiding for him being unavailable in 2022, suspensions in 2022 or the 2023 league years. Browns are stuck in this deal. As long as he doesn't do anything else, Browns are stuck. He's got an ironclad, fully guaranteed contract. Practically speaking, even if uh, he didn't have that language, the Browns gave up a boatload of picks to get him. 22, 23, 24 first-round picks. Twenty-two fourth round pick, twenty-three third round pick, and a twenty-three fourth round pick to get Watson a twenty-four sixth round pick. So practically speaking, even without that language, they weren't gonna cut bait with Watson early on after giving up all that. So yeah, at least from the NFL standpoint, the this puts to rest the seventeen month ordeal. It's not gonna be easily forgotten. I don't think it's It's going to go away at least temporarily, and then once Watson is reinstated, it's going to come back again. And it's probably going to follow him for the rest of his career, and rightfully so. But um, at least there's a settlement. Didn't meet the satisfaction of, I'd say, a majority of the people. Public sentiment seems to be a year suspension would have been appropriate. If not more, it's more than the six games, which was initially what C.L. Robinson ruled. And it is the biggest suspension under the personal conduct policy for sexual misconduct. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's move on from Deshaun Watson and go to um, Derwin James. Now, Derwin James reset the safety market in uh, middle of last week signed a four-year, $76 million um, extension with the Chargers. He was in his fifth-year option, um, scheduled to make $9.052 million. The previous standard for safeties was Mika Fitzpatrick in June signed a four-year extension for $18.247 million with $36 million fully guaranteed. Derwin James gets... A record for safeties, a little shade under 38.6, fully guaranteed, and basically 42 in overall guarantees. The four 3.5 million in change, which is guaranteed in 2024, is going to vest in 2023, so it's practically 42, fully guaranteed. Um, it's signing. This cap number was 9.052 million. The um, fifth-year option. This cap number is going to drop by. Basically, $900,899,123,23 uh, to be precise. Its base salary is now $4,052,471. Um, it's getting a $20.532 million signing bonus. There's a $12 million option bonus. It um, has to be exercised. I don't know the exact date, but presumably between the first and fifth day of the 2023 league year. His base salary is a fully guaranteed two million. It's probably set up to where it's a fully guaranteed fourteen million, and it reduces to two when the option is exercised to force the option to be exercised. Um, but this is a phenomenal deal for Derwin James. First off, Derwin James has durability concerns, and I'm a little surprised that the Chargers didn't kind of protect themselves from the injuries um, Derwin James has had. He was first team All-Pro as a rookie in 2018. Missed the entire um, 2020 season because of a torn meniscus in his right knee. Only played five games in 2019. Played most games last year, but that's a pretty significant injury history. So, typically, what you're going to do is try to account for that in a contract, and one way to do that would be for per-game roster bonuses. He has none. This would be a prime candidate for per-game roster bonuses, where if he misses significant time, they don't have to pay him. They get the cap and cash relief, but problem is the Chargers don't do that for anybody. If I'm him, I don't want him, because he didn't do it for Joey Bosa, who had some durability concerns, not to this magnitude, but nonetheless, he'd miss substantial games, and Two years ago, he became the highest-paid non-quarterback, and you didn't do it for him. But Chargers went the extra mile for him. He benefits from the Chargers being all-in on trying to take advantage of Justin Herbert's window while he's still on his rookie contract. He's entering year three, won't be eligible for an extension until after the 2022 regular season ends, so that'll be early next January. And you've had one guy this year it was a first-round pick get a contract after three years, Kyler Murray, so it may be heading into 2024 when he's going to be playing on his fifth-year option when he gets a deal. So this is the window now. They're very aggressive in free agency, made a trade for Khalil Mack, um, retained Mike Williams on a three-year, $20 million per year contract of $40 million in guarantees, so they're the only team with two $20 million wide receivers because Keenan Allen's already over that. So they're all in. So paying a little more f- than for Derwin James and also structuring the contract in a manner which is player-friendly. Optimal situation for James. and Just how player-friendly is this contract? Now, one thing I do, and I've been doing this from when I was an agent, is I look at the cash flow of deals and look at cash flow percentages in particular. So um, I'd happen to be looking at um, the cash flow percentages for non-QB first-round picks that signed extensions in a contract year that were 2016, 17, or 18 first-round picks. James' is 2018 first-round pick. Now, in terms of being team-friendly, out of the 12 that he previously signed, and some of those guys include T.J. Watt, DeForest Buckner, obviously Mika Fitzpatrick, Jair Alexander, just to name a few. But if you look at, first, the guarantee percentages, and by that I'm taking the amount of guaranteed money relative to new money, he's got basically 50.1% of the money fully guaranteed. Now, if you compare that particularly to... The next two highest paid safeties: Mika Fitzpatrick, and Jamal Adams. Is the previous standard at 17.5 million per year before Fitzpatrick? Um, fully guaranteed percentage. It's um, beats Micah. Micah is at 49.32, fully and total. Um, Jamal is at 30 fully because the um, Seahawks don't fully guarantee the second year it's signing. They have an early vesting date um, for that, but. His, 507 basically 51%. Very good. It's uh, third among these uh, 12 non-quarterbacks. T.J. Watt, phenomenal, 71.42%. Fully guaranteed at signing and overall guaranteed. Second is Ryan Kelly, 51.06%. Then you have Derwin James. The average, 43.7% of these guys. Overall percentage guaranteed. That means total guarantee um, he's at fifty four point six if you look at think minka forty nine point three two jamal adams uh fifty four point two nine so he beat both of those the average for overall guarantees fifty five point four one um, some of these other positions have more guaranteed but he kind of got constrained by overall guarantees of safety market number, nonetheless. Sets records on sheer numbers and overall and total guarantees. Now, what I find particularly interesting is the cash flow percentages each year. And this is a very strong deal from that regard. Now, I look at how much money of the contract is earned after each year. And by that, I'm talking New Year's. How much new money does he get? In the existing year, how much new money after the first new year, second new year, third new year? Now, if you're looking at what would be a neutral deal, neither front or back loaded after the first new year, should be at 25%, 50% after the second year, 75% after year three. If you look at where he is, he's got 19.74% of the new money earned in the existing contract year. That's better than average. Uh... The average is 18.54. Kenny Clark is way up there in that at basically 27 because they had to give him a huge signing bonus because they don't guarantee anything besides signing bonus for anybody who isn't Aaron Rodgers. Meek is at basically 15%, same as Jamal Adams, so he beats them there. Uh, New money earned after the first new year is at 38.2%. That's the third best amount. Behind T.J. Watt, who's at 44.5, and Ryan Kelly, who's at 39.6. Average, 34.67. Mink is at 34.78, and Jamal's at 35.71. New money after the second year. He's at basically 55, a shade under 55. That's about average um, with these guys. T.J. Watt leads at 62.41 on these four-year extensions. Mink is at 54.65, and uh, Jamal Adams at 51.4. Uh, third new year, he's a little above average at 77%. The average for these guys is 76.64. He compared to Minka, Mink is at 75.89, and Jamal's at straight 75 neutral after three years. So this is a very strong deal for uh, Derwin James. <laughs> I didn't envision it coming in here. <laughs> I thought it might get to 18.5, barely beat it. The structure wouldn't be this good. The Chargers might try to protect themselves because of the durability concerns. But no, none of that stuff. Great cash flow, great guarantees. Chargers are all in. Um, safety market has jumped almost 25%. Since March 2020, we didn't have a 15 million dollar per year safety until Justin Simmons on a second franchise tag, signed for 15.25 million per year. Jamal Adams had a ton of leverage with um, Seattle because they didn't get a deal done after giving up multiple first round picks and players for him. He took it to 17.5. Micah Fitzpatrick topped that. Now we're Derwin James at 19 million. I know it was reported at 19.133, but you got to factor in that he was making uh, 9.052 plus he was entitled to the 17th game check under the CBA, which he loses with the extension, so you back that out. So that would be $532,471. That's why it's really 19. But nonetheless, phenomenal deal for Derwin James. And that takes us to Jesse Bates. And Jesse Bates is on a franchise tag. Top safety. At some point, I expect him to sign his tender and get in and play. Same agent as Derwin James. I don't think Cincinnati is going to go anywhere near this. So this is a 17-game audition, assuming Jesse Bates plays the entire season. And we'll see if he can break the bank in free agency. At least that's what I think was going to happen. Okay, before we get to Rokon Smith, I want to clarify one thing about Jesse Bates. I'm not saying he's going to break the bank. I'm just saying that I don't think he's going to be back in Cincinnati uh, next year. If you look at the uh, safety market, highest paid safeties, typically you've gotten it from your own team. Derwin James extension, Megan Fitzpatrick extension, Jamal Adams extension, Harrison Smith who's at $16 million extension, Um, Justin Simmons franchise tag stayed put those top five so Jesse Bates I'm assuming he's going to play not forego almost 13 million 12.911 million um, since that's more than double what he's made in NFL career earnings only one franchise player sat out in recent memory A full season, Le'Veon Bell, 2018 with the Steelers. It was a second second franchise tag. Before that, Dan Williams, Chiefs defensive lineman in 1998. So, I'll be shocked if he sits out the full year, but they drafted Daxon Hill, 31st pick in the draft, ready-made replacement. So, as I said, audition for Jesse Bates this year to move on elsewhere, in my opinion. That's what I meant, not that he was going to break the bank, um, it's not going to be the strongest free agent market because all the best guys have gone. No receivers. Every receiver imaginable has been signed. Um, I'm assuming Quentin Nelson gets it done. Lamar Jackson will get tagged. So he'd be one of the most coveted players there. But if we've seen the past two years in safety free agency, John Johnson didn't necessarily break the bank, $11.25 million per year. And this year, Marcus Williams got $14 million, 71 over five years. That's what Earl Thomas got, on average, basically, to go there um, in, I think that was 2019. But anyway, let's move on to Roquan Smith before we wrap this up. Now, Roquan Smith had been, had been holding in yesterday, ended the hold-in, was practicing doing individual Drills, no team stuff, and what's a ramp up to the regular season. Met with the media yesterday after practice and said he's playing out his contract and called the process distasteful um, with the contract he's representing himself. Now, we got three weeks before the regular season starts, so if you're trying to sign someone, negotiations don't cut off three weeks before first game normally they cut off right around Labor Day if they're going to an impasse that can't be solved, but he said he's focused on season playing out his contract and betting on himself. Now (laughs) to me that signifies that these two sides ain't close. They weren't close when he put out the statement where he requested the trade. Indicated he felt he was being taken advantage of. And something that really caught my attention was he said that they had de-escalators in the contract. And by that, I'm assuming he doesn't mean a workout de-escalator, which is fairly common for some teams. It's the reverse workout bonus where if you don't participate in essentially 85% of the workout program, slightly less than that is the percentage then your base salary drops by designated amount, 250 to 500 Texans. Cowboys do that instead of a workout bonus. Now, by that, I think he means a true base salary escalator. So I went back and dug in to see, when was the last time the Bears did one of those? Well, 2012, Tim Jennings. It was based on play time. He said in what he released in a rap report, a couple of weeks ago, that they were like 94 or 97, I forget the exact number, but it was in the 90s. Uh, players averaging 15 million per year or more, non-quarterbacks, no salary escalator. So <laughs> that's something that was in the offer. I understand that. Ryan Poles said there were aspects of the deal which were record-setting in what they offered. Now, I'm assuming that's a signing bonus. The easiest thing you can do: give a, give a guy a big signing bonus and then. Try to sell them on the fact you got the signing bonus, the shiny object, and who cares what the rest of the contract looks like. Now, this thing gets really interesting to me next offseason, particularly if Roquan plays well. Bears are going to have more cap room than anybody else in the league. So they're going to be around $100 million. Could be that much, depending on where the cap comes in. So they're probably going to go into spending spree in free agency because they like talent, and they're in a rebuilding year this year. So... <laughs> If Roquan walks, odds are they don't get a compensatory pick, and he walks for nothing because compensatory picks are based on your net losses or gains in free agency, and if you have gains to offset your losses, you don't get compensatory picks, and they're probably going to go on a spending spree. So if he's out (laughs) – he just lost him for nothing unless they're going to trade him at some point this season. He's playing on a nine point, dollars million dollar um, fifth fifth-year option. Now, since he said it was distasteful, I don't know if what his mindset is to try to get out of here. Do I want to stay if I thrive in the defense? When I was an agent and I had clients who didn't like how the – negotiation process was going and thought that they should have gotten a deal instead of playing out their contract, some of them were ready to leave at all costs. And we saw a situation like that last year. The, the Packers, this time last year, couldn't agree on a deal with Devontae Adams, played out his contract, eventually offered him something they thought he would take. He was out the door. They franchised him. He was ready to go play for his college buddy, Derek Carr, and they traded him as a franchise player, tag and trade for a first and second round pick. Now, let's say Roquan plays really well. Then you can say objectively, Ryan Poles won round one. Didn't Roquan didn't get the deal he wanted. He's playing out his contract. Roquan plays well, tables kind of turn. Because the Bears can have them walk out the door for nothing, or let's stick a franchise tag on They have 100 million in cap room, so they're going to have plenty of room to use a franchise tag. This would be unusual from the standpoint that the last off ball linebacker to get a franchise tag was David Harris in 2011 from the Jets. And that was the year the franchise tags dropped across the board about 20% when they changed the methodology, and it's now that. That was the first year under the cap percentage average where you take the franchise tags for the past five years under the original methodology, average of top five players. You take the sum of that, divide that by the sum of the salary cap the last five years, multiply that by the current salary cap, and that's your percentage. They all dropped. That was the last time you had an off-ball linebacker get one. There is no off-ball linebacker tag. The reason you don't have off-ball linebackers get tagged, get a franchise tag, is the numbers composed of basically three, four outside linebackers who are edge rushers, pass rushers, who get paid a premium. Now, um, some of you guys probably already realize this, but every year for CBS I do an article on franchise tags, try to project them. Um, I started running numbers. I've done preliminary numbers for most positions. I did linebacker out of curiosity. I usually run them through team sources before I do the article, which will be towards the latter part of the regular season. I haven't done it yet. But just based on my preliminary numbers, the linebacker number, if the cap is 225, is going to be right about 20.5 million. So that's more than double what Roquine's uh, making. Would you go two tags on him? Because let's say I'm right and it's basically 20.5. And let's see, 20.5, 20% raise second year. You're at 24.6. 20.5. He's making 45 million going two tags. and could leave if he decided to go that route. I think he'd take that. 45? That's 22.5 million a year. I don't know what he's asking for. <laughs> I don't know if it came up in the negotiation. If it did, I could see why that would be a sticking point. <laughs> if he had someone running the numbers and doing the math, or even if he just took last year's, took, took the number for uh, this year, which is like 18 million and some change, that <laughs> you could see why. <laughs> this thing can get really interesting to me that um, Roquan plays well. Um, he has been a second team All Pro by the Associated Press the past two years. Was a first-team All-Pro by Sporting News in 2020. There are three entities um, in the CBA under which incentives and escalators, you qualify for incentives and escalators for honors. Sporting News, Associated Press, Pro Football Writers of America. So he has satisfied been a first-team All-Pro by one of those. So if he can have a year like he did in 2020 or 2021, then he's going to be <laughs> – in a pretty good position if he takes to Matt Eberflus's defense. Uh, and this will be very interesting. Would he want to get a deal done before they have to make a decision on the tag? And if so, would the Bears have to come to a number he thought was satisfactory? Because he said they had a number, he had a number, they couldn't agree. He wouldn't disclose either number when he was talking to the press. But if they're cutting things off this early, they couldn't have been anywhere close, I would think. Um, I don't know who cut it off. Presumably the Bears decided, you know what, we're done. I don't know, maybe it was him. Maybe he was like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on the season. There's no way he was going to miss games because it's too important of a year. Presumably this is the time he needs to get ready to get acclimated to playing football to have uh, what he hopes is the best season of his career. But this thing can get very interesting if he plays well from the standpoint, would he get a deal done before the tag deadline, which will be March 7th? Then, if he didn't, do they let him walk in free agency for nothing? And if you look at the off-ball linebacker market, the three highest-paid guys have not been free agents. Shaquille Leonard, own team, highest-paid guy, 19.7 per year. Second, um, Fred Warner, 19.045 million, stayed put 49ers. Bobby Wagner, 2019, before the Seahawks cut him this offseason, 18 million per year, was the highest paid guy before those two guys in 2021 um, got deals. Then the highest paid. Free agent CJ Mosley, who set in motion Bobby Wagner getting his deal $17 million per year 2019. Fifth highest paid off ball linebacker free agency this year. Foyer Lucon leaves the Falcons for the Jaguars $15 million per year. So it's not going to be a great crop of free agents. So if he plays well, he could be at the top of that list. But would he want to force the hand of the Bears? Do you let him walk for nothing? Do you tag him? Then, if he gets tagged, if he's going to make 20.5, he's probably going to want his number. Thinking, okay, would you tag me for 24 6 the next year? <laughs> or would you let me walk in free agency? Round Robinson got tagged once, didn't play well, <laughs> and didn't get close to what he was asking for with the Bears and goes to the Rams and we'll see if it ultimately sets up a situation like that, but this stay tuned at the end of the year. We'll probably revisit the, this situation, but it'll get interesting to me at that time, given the options that are potentially available, depending upon Rokon, how Rokon plays. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's, uh, inside the cap. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my regular CBS column, Call agent's take. Um, salary cap and contract matters. Thanks for listening and we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.